Welcome everyone to this week's Really Big Fan Podcast. I, as always, am your host, Chizuk. I am joined once again by my co-host, Acronym. Hello. For another week of Really Big Fan Podcast. And I promise you there will be significantly less Spider-Verse in this week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll live, I promise. <laughs> I, th- I think we got it all out last week. Says the person that went and saw it again last night. I, I did. I, did. <laughs> I, I have to say it, it it's good. It doesn't hit as good the second time. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that is. I don't know how widespread. Be careful. Oh, I'm not going to spoil anything, okay. but I don't know how widespread it was that there would be another one. Oh, you mean like people didn't know that that, that was going to end on a cliffhanger? I didn't walk in knowing that we were getting another one next year. Yeah. I just was like, oh, it's a new Spider-Verse movie. Cool. It's going to be, you know, hopefully they'll they'll give us a third one. And, you know, but like I didn't walk in knowing that like, oh, yeah. And like, I don't know, nine, ten months, you're going to be back in the theater to mm-hmm. another one of these. So. Yeah. Well, that's a pleasant surprise. See, I knew that going in, Did you? but we never had a discussion about it. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I was fully prepared for it to end on a cliffhanger. I saw somebody on Twitter uh, make a funny joke, too, about like they finally went and saw it. And they're like, I can't believe I was I avoided all spoilers because everyone on Twitter is horny for Miguel O'Hara's ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They really put some cake on that boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the shoulder to hip ratio is is like it's like a Dorito. Well, that's why everybody's horny over the Star Wars Outlaws robot thing. too. It's the same thing. If that gives you, if you're shaped like a, that's what we need all these days. If you're shaped like a triangle, that everyone likes you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get some headlines. Imagine the uh, the Star Wars droid that is from a new open world Star Wars game that's coming out. Oh, I thought it was a show. I didn't even like look into it. Yeah, they <laughs> so uh, starting last week around I want to say like Thursday was the Summer Games Fest. Yeah, where they were showing off a whole bunch of cool you know video games that were coming out, and um, that was one of them. That one uh, hit during the the Xbox portion of the. Uh, presentation uh, along with a whole bunch of other games that are coming out but some uh, some real highlights in there were uh, Spider-Man 2 is going to be on the PS5 in October which means I have till October to figure out how to scare up a PS5 um, <laughs> they showed uh, the last trailer for Final Fantasy 16 also a PlayStation 5 game um, and, and the demo dropped earlier this week and apparently if you play the demo, the whatever progress you make there, it's like the first hour or so of the game transfers over. So you don't have to play it again. That's good. Yeah, which is fun. Uh, they also showed off a trailer for Final Fantasy VII um, Rebirth, which is the second part of the Final Fantasy VII remake series. Uh, they said it's going to be on two discs, which is... Why? I don't know. We have the technology. Why? Well, What's the problem? so one of the podcasts that I listened to, it mentioned the fact that the first one came on two discs and the first one was like an install disc. And it was the same thing with Red Dead Redemption 2, that like there was an install disc and then there was the, uh, and then there was the disc you kept in there while you were playing. Gotcha. So maybe that's what's going on. Is it yeah. an install disc and then. So games are so massive now. Yeah. Like you could you'd fit Tears of the Kingdom in a little tiny cartridge, but 
I need two discs for Final Fantasy VII Reverse. That's wild. Something just tells me that that somehow is going to blow up in their face, but uh, let me see. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Nicolas Cage uh, was in attendance to announce that he'd be in Dead by Daylight next month, which we already knew. I saw that Rocket League is getting Transformers. Oh, which that is kind of fun. I'll be looking forward to that. I mean, I'm already playing Fortnite, so I can get Optimus Prime. Right. I was going to say that, like, you're probably already on that, that mind frame and going, oh, great. Now I'm going to be starting to play Rocket League again. I played Rocket League before and I had a good time. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, you very, just didn't play it a lot. It's very exciting. Yeah. It's very, it's, but I'm also not very good at it. I had to get to the point where instead of trying to get the ball in the net, I was just trying to eliminate players by hitting them as hard as I could. Gotcha. <laughs> so you, you take the, uh, the way that I play Pokemon Unite is that, like, I'm just going to fight everybody and try to score versus... <laughs> yeah, yeah, except I'm not even trying to score at that point. Yeah, you're just, like, you're just going to fight I hit you with my car as hard as possible, I can knock you out for one full second and make you reset, so... And then there's one less player on the field. <laughs> I'm, uh, what was it, uh, Darren McCarty? Oh, yeah, yeah, that'll I'm do it. The enforcer. <laughs> I'm just trying to knock people off the thing. And the other thing that was part of the Xbox showcase is that we're getting a Persona 5 Tactics game, which is kind of like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, where you like kind of move your characters around like chess pieces. Yeah. Uh, and they're completely remaking Persona 3, which was on the PlayStation 2. And then they they remade it once on the PSP to like, uh, because the PSP, uh, or it was the Vita, couldn't handle the um, all of Persona 3 yeah. on the PlayStation 2. So they kind of remade it from the ground up for that. But this is more like the PlayStation 2 version, but with prettier graphics and more anime and uh, new new stuff. So I saw somebody make a tweet that was like, it was that that formula of, I swear it's good, bro, talking about Persona. Yeah. It was like, after the first 20 hours, it's, it's great, bro. <laughs> and I'm just like, I mean, that's sort of fair, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to world build it out first. It lures you in with the music and the anime and then you know next thing you know you've spent like 40 hours playing this game about summoning demons and right high school kids trying and, to stop the end of the world and trying to date everybody and trying to date everybody <laughs> that's the weird part for me <laughs> so i came across this peppa pig is apparently getting her own podcast that bitch <laughs> I, maybe she learned how to whistle i don't really know but <laughs> I, I only bring this up because, A, I know people have children, but, B, who would you want to have a podcast in a cartoon? Who has children? I mean, some people, people do. have children. I mean, not us, where but... Do you, where do you think we have? <laughs> people have children. Who would I want to have a podcast? Oh. Yeah. I mean, and you can't say Optimus Prime because that's, that's no, just ASMR. That's, yeah, that's... A, in fact, there's a... So there's radio channels when you get in the cars on Fortnite. Mm -hmm. And there's a there's a certain channel that's like uh, like a weird transmission. And it's just Optimus uh, like calling together the people of Fortnite to, <laughs> to, you know, as part of the Transformers thing that's going on right now. And so I, when I get in a car, I'll just put it on that. Listen to Optimus's yeah. thing on a, on a loop until I get out of the car. Uh, Daffy Duck. Oh, God. <laughs> Daffy Duck podcast would be amazing. Why do I feel like he would say something that would get him canceled? Daffy Duck, Donald Duck, co-host podcast. Oh, good Lord. You remember them fighting in uh, Roger, Rabbit. Roger Rabbit? Yeah. 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 So that's just what it would be like. Yeah, it would be, uh, what's that? Uh, it would be Crossfire over on Fox News. <laughs> Daffy Duck and Donald Duck, they're just screaming at each other. 
I can't I, understand one of them. I guess I'm going to cheat on, on this because at first I said cartoon, but like I want Troy and Abed to have a podcast. Troy and Abed. In the morning. And that would be what it would be called. Yep. Honestly, if you know, not that once again, I'm going to make calls to people that are not listening to this podcast. But Donald Glover, if if Donald Glover Danny and Danny Pudi or uh, Dan Harmon can can hear this <laughs> in order to promote the six seasons in a movie movie, yeah. you should have a limited run Troy and Abed in the morning podcast. Give us six episodes or more. Yeah. Troy and Abed in the morning. Come on. That would be amazing. They don't even have to be long. They could just be like one like extended bit that they do for like 10 minutes and then be done. Yep. But that would be amazing. That would be really good. Bugs Bunny would have a great podcast too. Uh, Bugs Bunny yeah. is just essentially cartoon Groucho Marx. So it'd be Groucho Marx, you know, I don't know. I feel, like, interview, interview people. I feel like I would rather watch a Twitch stream of Bugs Bunny because part of his charm is his mischief. That's true. His physical acting mischief. Yeah. So it's kind of like you wouldn't have a you wouldn't have a podcast of Wiley e. Coyote because like the... seeing seeing it no Wacko Yakko and Dot would have the most chaotic podcast to ever exist. Hilarious to listen to. No fingerprints. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, on a sad note, I just saw the news on Twitter last night that uh, John Romita Senior. The comic book artist had passed away. Um, I had it in front of me, but my laptop is not cooperating. It doesn't have enough battery. Mm. So I'm just doing this from memory. But uh, yeah, John John Romita Sr. did a whole bunch of Spider-Man after Steve Ditko left. Uh, He he worked on multiple Marvel titles. He was kind of a cornerstone of Marvel Comics in the 60s and 70s, even going into the 80s. And now his, uh, his son, John Romita Jr., has been working there since the 80s as well. So it's... uh. Very, very, uh, our hearts go out to the friends and family of John Romita Sr. I was looking to see if I could find it. Yeah, if you could find it while I was stalling for time. Yeah, well, my computer was not, it, it's angry because I'm trying to actually. Trying to stream and do things. That's why I did it that way. Sure. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, So I was going to talk about this. We've got Paul McCartney says he used AI to produce a final Beatles song. This is going to make people uncomfortable. I have a feeling, but um, he was inspired by Peter Jackson's 2021 um, documentary, Get Back. Right. So then they got a little bit of John Lennon's voice out of like a tape, a really messed up tape. And he was kind of like, huh, well, I'm curious. So it's not actually like they're recreating his voice for AI. And I feel like a lot of the headlines are very much clickbaiting. Yeah, because the, the headline leads you to believe that like an AI John Lennon is going to be singing this song when actually it's more like the photo filter you use. Exactly. Yeah. Where like, no, it's just there to like clean it up and make it as, as you know, right. as so pretty John, as possible. John McCartney said that in the in this interview that he was able to take John's voice and put it through the AI and then they can mix the record as they normally would. Interesting. And it said we had John's voice in a piano and they could separate it from AI. So it tells the machine, that's the voice. This is a guitar. Lose the guitar. Interesting. So it's just basically like an AI that isolates yeah. what it can hear and probably improves the sound quality. So I, I figured I'd bring that up because I think a lot of people just saw the headline and started freaking out. <laughs> well, that was something I'd seen on Kotaku, too, that I wasn't going to bring up. But like apparently there's an AI Jesus on Twitch that you can just ask questions to and people are asking him like what's the best gun in Call of Duty or what do you think of Neon Genesis Evangelion stuff and like the answers in the in the article are like surprisingly really good 
really like yeah the kind of jesus that i've always been like that's the that the like that's the jesus i believe exists is very much a like just love everybody don't be a dick like be cool it always concerns me when people just let AIs run wild because I'm very uncomfortable with that. And it's only a matter of time till he says something really bad. Well, and that's the thing. Like, you guys were all hype about that Seinfeld thing at one point when right. it was creating Seinfeld episodes. And then they got increasingly more worse yeah. and horrible in nature. And the thing is, is that, like, at least as the way that I understand AI in general it compiles everything on the internet. You're thinking like when Vision was being born or Ultron was being born, they could see everything on the internet. Right. And the difference between Vision and Ultron was Ultron isolated the bad within it. He saw all the things that were going wrong. He right. started off pure, at least in the Age of Ultron movie. I don't know how it is in the comics, but he starts off pure and then he starts seeing all the awful things and then come across one idea that Tony says in a clip yeah and it goes oh that i'm gonna build my entire mindset around that but it was like sort of taken out of context or he didn't have enough information to deduce what he was doing right so i look at ai as it's pulling whatever it's seeing on the internet and there's so much hate on the internet mm. that's only a matter of time that it's going to be pulled into whatever it is they're doing so even if you can program it to a certain thing or to i don't know if they can tell it to avoid keywords or whatever the danger with AI is it learns from technology. Yeah. So I feel like it's a little concerning to see just an open-ended thing. That's why when people like say things like, oh, you know, do you ever like write articles using AI? And I'm like, oh, fuck no. Yeah. No. Not only does it mean that I'm not writing it, first of all, but second of all is it's only pulling what it's learning into that. So AI is, at least in the sense of chat GPT, it can be a good idea builder. It can help you generate things that like if you're trying to come up with content and you're like, uh, what what are good content for photographers? What are good articles to write? But not going down the path of letting the AI do it for you. And so when people bring it up to me in business sense, I always go, are you double checking it? Are you, are you using it for a tool to help you do the project or are you trying to get it to do the project for you? Because because if you're doing the project for you, bad idea. <laughs> I saw a series of tweets from a, a high school teacher that said that for like the, because, you know, high school is good. All the schools are, you know, getting into summer vacation here. Mm -hmm. Says for their final project, um, he had his class pick topics for an essay, mm -hmm. punch that topic into an AI and let the AI write the essay and then go back and fact check the the ai yeah. and he said that every single essay had like stuff that didn't happen in it and it had misquotes and stuff and, and like he did it specifically to show them how inaccurate using the ai was mm -hmm. and and he said the, a lot of his students were like well now i'm really concerned about misinformation yes absolutely and that's that's the concern you run into and anybody that is like looking to Phil, you know, even even in the sense of I had people ask me about it if I did music articles like that or something. Sure. And I'm like, no, because you're never going to get past a fact check. Like, yeah, I can screw up and not find the information I'm looking for. But I at least know I'm looking for those facts. Yeah. This you're thing not isn't making up a facts. Exactly. Sound smarter. Right. So it just it's it's a double edged sword. You got to be careful with how you're using it. Some people like to also take 
their writing and put it through there for like correct grammatical errors and that seems somewhat okay but i also wouldn't do that with any proprietary information like if you were writing a book or a you know something like that where you're putting it into there because then it's going to be regurgitated to the next person that asks that question i was going to say that's the problem is that now you're you're feeding it into a thing that's supposed to be learning so it's going to store it somewhere exactly and you know don't give it your credit card number (laughs) yeah whatever you do what i really get out of this conversation is that you have a very strong argument for ultron (laughs) <laughs> I well my my argument necessarily is like I I feel like with Marvel they're very good at billing gray area villains and very strong Ultron argument but you are hardcore Miguel O'Hara. Oh, oh, absolutely. I'm not saying that Ultron's a bad person, but I see what happened cuz they actually illustrate it in the sense of going like right. it, it, he's an AI, he's a computer, he doesn't understand. Miguel has a human component, and I'm going to try to say this in a way where I don't spoil anything, but I just feel like Miguel would rather everyone else suffer the way he suffered than try to fix things. We've been having this this argument yeah, for a this, week now. This keeps happening where it keeps getting brought up where like we'll see content on the internet and bring it up to each other, and then I just start going, he's a villain! <laughs> he, is, he, is, he is the villain of the piece. <laughs> Well, that's all I got for headlines. Are you good? I got a couple more real quick that I'll just run okay. through. They're super fast. Um, I'm obsessed with Noel Gallagher. Yeah. We have started to, how did you put it, that he is he's, my Scott Steiner? He is your personal Scott Steiner. You know he's a terrible person, but him being alive makes the world a lot funnier. So he He's taking credit for Taylor Swift and Matt Haley's breakup. <laughs> broke up already? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They broke up already, happen? like last week. My God. Get with the Taylor Swift times, my dude. I can't keep up. I'm like, I don't even crazy care about Taylor Swift, but this is just interesting to me in general. Did they break up before they got here to Detroit, or was it after? Before. Um, yeah, they broke up like going into the Detroit show and I was like, oh man, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. They did say that she like broke down during part of during the show and I was just like, ah, like that sucks. But um, he he's making jokes and he said, Taylor has obviously said to him, this is Noel Gallagher. Now, look, keep your fucking nose out of the Gallagher business or we are fucking through. <laughs> And then he said, and he couldn't help it. And Swifty, God bless her, said, I can't deal with this shit because once he's done with you, he's going to come after me. And I'm not fucking having it. So I'm sorry. You have to go. Fucking audacity. (laughs) So making you're the reason somebody (laughs) broke up with somebody. I'm sure he's just trolling at this point because like out of the two of them, Noel seems to have the better personality. Liam seems to be just absolutely awful, but they're both awful in comparison. I just think that Noel is funnier. But yeah, so he's taking credit for that. And, And this segues into the other Taylor Swift adjacent story where I almost considered this making my serotonin boost because it made me so happy. I'm pretty sure that Flava Flav lives in Detroit because he keeps coming to things. Okay. And he's popping up at every single thing at this point. Like, he, I know he showed up when I shot Arts, Beats, and Eats last year. He was he just got on stage with Flo Rida and started jumping around with his clock and all that stuff. All right. Well, he had his own personal little VIP corner, it looks like, at the Taylor Swift show at Ford, Ford Field. Oh, wow. And there is apparently a song, and this is where <laughs> this is where you lose me a little bit, uh, between like Taylor Swift's origin story all the way up to reputation. Okay. I know all that shit. Anything beyond that, I don't know anymore because that's when I stopped writing about her. But 
right in that area, um, I guess there was a lyric in one of her songs that says something about friendship bracelets. Okay. And so all these little girls are making friendship bracelets to trade with other Swifties at the shows. They kept going up to Flava Flav and giving him bracelets. So there is a photo of him and there's videos of it and everything. He's got this full arm of friendship bracelets. He looks like Shang-Chi with the ten rings. Yeah, exactly. And so he's got this this whole thing going and he ended up putting out on Twitter, I want to hire one of you little girls to make me friendship bracelets so I can trade with the, them on the next stop I go to. So apparently he's going to some of these shows. Wild. And him and there's like pictures of him and Taylor. I don't know if they're like friends ish, like something like that. Or if he was just kind of like, I want to go to a Taylor Swift show. He had on a full uh, like red jumpsuit. And he said, I'm in my red arrow, which is from like, or I think it was a 2015 album. Yeah. Red. Yeah. And so he's got like a, I know he or I knew she was trouble when she walked in type T-shirt sure. and stuff. So he's just fully going hard with it but it's making me smile because i'm just like all these little girls are like oh my god flame of flame and i'm like this is the same man that had his like flavor of love tv show and all this it's just weird to me so it it does make me giggle i hope this means that the swifties are going to get into public enemy But I would be wild. I'm fearful that this friendship bracelet thing just means they're all going to go hard into techno music. And because it's the it's the candy thing. right? Yeah. yeah. It, does, it does look like candy and yeah. people do treat it kind just of like gonna, that. They're going to hit their like high school and high school era in 20s and be like, well, I want to keep doing this thing. And hey, there's this whole uh you know, a subculture where right. like, you do hallucinogenics and then give people friendship bracelets. <laughs> And it goes to show, too, that it, it crosses over. Um, friend of the show, Sam Nork, who we just had on talking about concert photography, yes. decided to make her own version of these with Blink-182 bracelets because she's going to the L.A. show. And she said there's like 40 different fans that they all kind of know and decided to get together yeah. for the show. So she made them all bracelets. She's apparently also going to custom make me and Jacob some because we want them. I asked her for the feeling this and, and oh, had so and had her do it with the colors from the album. That's amazing. So I, I'm excited to see how that turns out. And then Jacob wanted something that was like sexualizing Tom because that's <laughs> that's Jacob for you. Um Last one that I'll I'll throw out here is that uh, Josh Homme mentioned that he had cancer, and that apparently like happened already, and he already had it removed and stuff like that. So he's bringing it up kind of post that, but it's coming up in his interviews for uh their the new Queens of the Stone Age album, which is called In Times New Roman. Yeah. So he brought it up and it was kind of more in passing because he wouldn't offer any further details. All he said is, is I can never say it can't get any worse. I can never say that and I wouldn't advertise it. But I do say it can get better. Cancer is just the cherry on top of an interesting time period, you know, and I'm extremely thankful that I'll get through this and I'll look back on something that's fucked up. But it will have made me for the better. And so in the interview, like it, they bring up the fact that uh, death of his friends like Mark Lanigan and Taylor Hawkins has happened. And right. also the custody battle with his ex-wife Brody Dale from the Distillers. And he gave a brief statement on that latter subject saying, I would never talk bad about the mother of my children and I won't talk about my children. So he put it as a clear line, like we're not having that conversation. Somebody from the band had said that in Times New Roman is like 
the end of the trilogy of albums. Mm -hmm. Uh, And part of that is the artist who I believe also passed away that that did the art for the first two albums and this album. Yeah. Um, But also, I remember when like Clockwork came out, that was the last time I've seen Queens of the Stone Age. And he had had a death scare. Yeah. Like a year or two prior to making that album. I wonder if that's related. It it could be. And, you know, uh, up there with it, too, he went through a ton of substance abuse. For sure. And that was that was like when he kicked the photographer and all that stuff. That was all during that time frame. So I remember thinking there's a few songs on like Clockwork that feel like he's saying goodbye. Yeah. So when Villains came out, I was like, oh, good. He wasn't like. (laughs) He, he wasn't he's done, still you know, here with us kind of thing. Yeah, it, it seemed like when when the thing with Taylor Hawkins happened to he was having a rough time on stage because yeah. like you could tell he was having a hard time singing the songs and he seemed like he was drunk. Yeah, he did, he did it to Taylor Hawkins. Yeah, in, in the UK one. I don't know. I can't speak to the one that they did in uh, L.A., but I watched the UK one, and he definitely seemed like he was having a rough day that day and yeah. was probably inebriated. So hopefully, you know, with Arctic to watch those. But at the same time, it was also kind of ghoulish because like it was hard. Part of, yeah. Part of the part of as an audience member, part of watching it is is you, you're you looking for the catharsis, but you're also like there's a human part of you that's like, you know, who's going to who's going to have a hard time? Who's going to break down? Who's going to be strong enough to get through this and who's not well and i think there is a lot of that riding on dave grohl and it's gonna be for a while unfortunately because all of us are sitting there going god this happened to him before not again yeah oh my god and anybody that has done that deep dive within nirvana or listening to dave's book or anything like that which i highly recommend if you can listen to it get audible just to listen to his book the storyteller because it's it's so interesting to listen to him tell it versus reading it sure. in his own voice, but also it it is very heartbreaking. It was a hard listen to get to. I cried through like three chapters when I'm yeah. just like laying there listening to it and I'm like, oh my God. But looking at everything that's happened to him, everybody kind of has that whole like, is Dave going to be okay? Is Dave going to be okay? And we all talk about it like he's our friend because he he is this bombastic person, but we're all a little worried so it's, you know, you look at stuff happening with Josh, people don't always give him the same clearance because he has portrayed himself as an asshole yeah, sometimes. He's, he's definitely made a public persona that has a lot of swagger to it. Exactly. So, so expect him to, to be that person. Right. But it, it'll be interesting to see because they are going on tour. I think I mentioned that last week. So we'll see how everything goes with that. But hopefully at least... You know, he's, he seems to be lucid enough talking, so I would say, like, he should be fine. But I hope so. we'll find out. <laughs> so that's it for the headlines. So we're going to go into we're gonna my play. interview. Yeah, and then I'm going to interview you about one of your favorite movies. Yes. Next, the Real Big Fan Podcast. Welcome back to the Really Big Fan Podcast. And this week, we decided to kind of go back to basics. Our first couple episodes, we talked uh, to each other about some of our favorite things that we are really big fans of. And uh, for today's episode, I thought we would kind of uh, talk to you, my co-host, Acronym, uh, about one of your favorite movies. Yeah. And that is Christopher Nolan's uh, The Dark Knight. Yes. Uh, what What is it? I mean, you like the whole trilogy. 
basically, right? I'm not huge into the Begins one. No. To be honest, I almost was going to watch the Begins one before we did this once I decided I would talk about The Dark Knight because I don't really remember that one as much. And uh, for, But for me, uh, when I saw The Dark Knight, that one was the the entry point to like, comic book movies really because because when you look at you go back to i i don't remember when iron man came out so because that's the other cornerstone for me I mean, iron man I and dark knight i think it's years before dark knight but I can look it up. yeah i would look it up because i don't know exactly when iron man came out but like whichever one came first was the first one and then the one back behind uh iron man was 2008 I think Batman was twenty or two thousand three or two thousand. Dark Knight was also two thousand and eight. Oh wow! I thought both it was, those okay. two thousand eight. So that's officially the year. Yeah. Oh, comic book movie. Exactly. So there, that was a a good entry point on both ends. I feel like, and everybody was so like, "Oh God, is Heath Ledger going to be able to pull this off? He's like a yeah. rom com dude, right?" And then he just blew everyone the fuck away. But also. Kind of including himself. Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't going to make that joke. (laughs) Then you went there. (laughs) No, I'll step on that landmine. I'm good. But um, yeah, it was interesting to see that that acting come from him. The way that it's colored, the way that it's shot, everything, and that's probably the the photographer and me there looking at the color composition and how those tell certain moods. And that movie, too, like, a you know, more plain eye is going to be, like, for the most part, it's all blues. But there's certain hints of um, the way that there's the contrast. They use a lot of shadow to kind of bring in the character and the world that it's in. Sure. And I find it really interesting. It's hard to think about it in that sense when you're only thinking about the way that the movie starts, because that's in broad daylight and everything sure. else. But... It's always weird when uh, when it's daytime in any Batman story. Right, exactly. It starts in daytime and it's like super weird in that sense. I think we all expect that he goes to bed as soon as the sun comes up and then just, you know, gets up around noon and no, businessman stuff. It, it seems like he sleeps as much as you do. Like he just doesn't just get a lot of sleep. <laughs> um, Down for two hours, up for 20. Exactly. That's kind of how he operates. But to see that and then like not to continue just speaking in general of me, but like watching the um, the special features of it, I learned so much more about the way that they filmed it. That was one of the first like IMAX big features. Right. And that's really hard to film on an IMAX camera. Those things are huge. I, it's yeah, was, the, the one actor was talking about how loud it was. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so you're having to um, yell over it yes. because you're trying to, you know, put that in. That was why that that scene in the bank with the actor. That was the guy. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, uh, you and you your friends are dead. <laughs> you have any idea who you're stealing from? You and your friends are dead. And he delivered that line because the IMAX camera was so loud yeah. that he had to make it count. And it made it so over the top that it was amazing. And it will forever be one of my favorite moments of that That's movie. That, yeah, that guy steals the scene, in my <laughs> opinion. He had two lines and he made sure we would remember them forever. It's the, <laughs> like, I'll say that while I'm playing yep. freaking first person shooters or something. I'll be like, you and your friends are dead. I just like yelling it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
It's hilarious. But they actually had to do that whole scene also had to be built because that wasn't in just a it was like in a bank, of course. But like they could drive a bus into a bank. Exactly. So they had to build like a wall around a specific part of it. Yeah. In order to make it look like the interface to pull the, the bus through, which a lot of people don't realize most of that movie's done with practical effects, if not like 98% of it, which that means they sense. did all of it non-graphic. Right. I mean, there's definitely stuff like there later on in the movie when he jumps off the building and has like the wingsuit and stuff like yes. that. Same. Yeah, that, that stuff is a little bit more. But they did say that he was actually standing on the building. Yeah. They, and it's actually Christian Bale. He wanted to do it. Lord. So he was the one that was standing up on the buildings and everything else. But um, even the explosion with the Joker, that's pretty much all practical, that's, too. Yeah, and that's always been the the story is that it was supposed to go off and didn't. And that's why he, he mm-hmm. reacts in time. Like, he stops and kind of shrugs his shoulders and looks back, and then it goes off. Yep. Like that was improv, and they were like, well, we're never going to get that again. Exactly, right? You know, it was timed perfectly, it was done perfectly, and that was, that was very much to Heath's whole thing about being so in character that like he didn't turn that off when he was on set and like kind of drove him mad but on the sense of like for the movie's sake it really turned out well and they talked about it specifically on how he was um doing those scenes and every time that he would like walk through or do something he would do it exactly the same way every single time right on a dime like perfect Interesting. and he didn't react to the explosion really like that whole like jumbled that was him doing the acting he never turned around when things were blowing up he right. never looked he never like seemed to get startled so very big testament to him in that sense see it's funny that he's ledger uh the stories are that that he went mad dude method acting yeah uh the joker but then like a couple of years later you get what's his face from 30 seconds to mars yeah suicide squad also trying to do his version of method acting the joker we're all like what's his name again uh jared, jared leto yeah yeah and we're all like jared fuck off well and i think like if it would have been a if it would have been somebody else that wasn't jared leto probably a little bit more respect yeah on top of that it had already been done before and he knew what happened to heath why would you try to do that that's a disrespect to a heath but also you're just making a mockery out of people that do method act because you can method act without sending people dead rats and shit that was what jared leto yeah was that's doing. what like i don't know i may we, we may have this conversation and i might find out that some of my favorite actors are method actors but mm-hmm. i feel like i have more respect for actors that understand the mechanical nature of acting and know that like once they yell cut i don't have to be that person anymore and can right. go back and forth whereas like with method actors it's like why do i need to deal with with Jim Carrey being an asshole for, you know, like six months while we're shooting Man on the Moon mm-hmm. because he's trying to be Andy Kaufman. Right. No, stop it. Yeah. And, Let's and, go get dinner and be people when we're not on the clock. It definitely depends. Like, I feel like the but the reason, though, that you have that mindset is looking at things like that. Right. From looking at Heath Ledger doing right. it because he is the most famous one because he's dead now. And that's it. It's blight to say that, but like it's that is the truth. Right. So when you look at other people that do that, I would consider to a degree Gary Oldman is probably a method actor. I was going to say Gary Oldman is probably the one I'm going to find out. Like yeah. method acts, all that stuff. I don't I like. He, I love his stuff, but also like I, I don't really think he appreciate- turns it. I think he turns it on and off, but I think like to a degree, if he's probably 
in full costume and stuff like that. Right. With Heath, he didn't even turn it off when he wasn't. Like, sure. he kind of was just living this weird life for well, a little bit, I, and there was drug abuse. I think of, like, from a horror movie perspective, too, like, especially when there's children involved in a movie or something, like, the, the actors or actresses will be in, like, full makeup, you know, doing a scene, a very scary scene, and then when they're done, they'll, like, tell the kids jokes or, yeah. you know, try and be very personal, even though they look very scary, to desensitize the kids to, like, you know, what we're doing is acting. Yeah, I'm You're pretty sure in danger. I'm pretty sure that's what Skarsgård did for it. Right. Or was like he the, was messing around with like Finn Wolfhard and all that the, like the woman that was just in Evil Dead Rise, mm-hmm. like she's she has tons of video and and photos on her on her phone or on her her Twitter of like how much fun they had doing it mm-hmm. to make sure but at the same time you do have a young child there so like we have to make sure yes we're making the scary thing but also we don't want them to not feel safe right i think that um johnny depp might have done some method acting for pirates of the caribbean by method acting do you mean just got drunk for a year i mean maybe i don't know it's hard i i I love pirates of the caribbean for those of you on stream you can see my tattoo yeah but it's become difficult to be a Johnny Depp fan over time. Uh, it could be worse. You could be an Ezra Miller fan. Ah, yeah, that too. Yes. So, and, and and that kind of also leans to probably an interesting point to get back on the topic of Dark Knight is that, like, I am very detached with every other Batman. I, I that was really, kind of, that was Christopher Nolan was the director Christian. that did this movie and the series of movies and I like his version of Batman the best and, and Christian Bale's acting of that Batman. Yeah. I feel like it is the Batman that I imagined, the Batman that I envision, what he's supposed to be, what his ideologies are, everything else. And when you put me in front of another Batman, I have a hard time digesting it. Yeah. Which is why like when we saw like Batman Rear Superman, Dawn of Justice, I'm like I was really hard on Batflick, and I was very open about how much I did not feel comfortable with Batflick happening. Right. And then I see it, and I'm like, it's not bad. He's not bad. He's not bad. Not bad, Batman. But I will point out the fact that in Batman's quote-unquote ideology, he doesn't intentionally kill people. Sure. And that's kind of part of like his core as a character. That's the- And when people go off the rails with that- and I see it happen, whether it's in a book or a movie or something like that. And I, that's where I get a little like, uh, it, it's the same thing with Matt Murdock and Daredevil. That's the insanely funny part about there being a Batman skin in Fortnite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the whole point of that game is find guns, shoot people. Yes. And that's like in this particular side of things with the Christopher Nolan Batman, you have, you know, no guns. Yeah. Like he's very adamant about that. And so when I see other portrayals, there's like there's a scene and I forget which version of which movie it is in with Ben Affleck as Batman. He just goes berserk and starts destroying everybody in this room. Right. And he hits one guy and his head just cracks against the wall, 
blood's coming down oh, yeah. and like that guy's dead well you have part of that you have Zack Snyder to thank for right the other part of that is you have Frank Miller to thank for because they were taking you know a lot of inspiration from his Dark Knight Returns story right which is an older Batman that is you know he's not as he's not as limber uh, he, his his war is still going on he's an old man and he's just like I need this to be over before I die right exactly so I guess I'm gonna have to comp- compromise some of this stuff and get a little more savage yeah and so like I look at that and I go well, like okay fine like it's not a deal breaker but it's just like I know that that's I, I have that problem with media I don't know if <laughs> we we have talked about before we're not entirely sure if I'm on the spectrum and I think that's part of where that may come from too where I'm like when I when I look at a character and I look at how they behave and stuff I very much get attached to what their ideologies are and that's probably why I like Daredevil so much is there's so many parallels between Daredevil and Batman there are only differences that Matt Murdock is not rich. <laughs> He's just a lawyer. But when you see those ideologies, I find it way more interesting. And there's so many multifacets to a character versus we we know how much I have a detachment with Superman. It's just something about Superman. I'm just not good at the the clean cut cookie cutter. I'm a good man like that Superman sort of thing. and Captain America both are very interesting litmus tests for people yep. that get into superheroes whatsoever because it feel I feel like you either connect and it doesn't have to be both of them. Like, you know, I I think you you appreciate Chris Evans Superman or or uh, uh, Captain America. America yeah. But Superman has never done anything for you and that's you know like for me that, that, that I appreciate captain america but like i've read good superman stories right but they're few and far between as far as what i'm looking for out of superman well and i think part of it too with superman in general not to get too off topic here is that i look at captain america and at least the ideation of captain america that i know i don't read a ton of comics to be honest with you a lot of my marvel especially my marvel stuff is very like movie based but the one thing that Steve never loses when he gets that super soldier stamp is his humanity. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that uh, Superman's ideology is that even though he's an alien, he appreciates humans and wants to be as very human-like as he can be. I feel like there's still a disconnect there of how much they put Superman on a pedestal of glorification when Captain America has a little bit more of a grit to him, and it's just because it's not to say that Captain America doesn't make mistakes, it's that Steve is still human at the end of the day. With Superman, he's not really allowed to make mistakes, and when he right. does, it's a very like dark character arc. It's really weird. And it, well, if you think about it too, like the su- the idea of the the Superman character feels very much like a little kid is is making it like, oh, he's very strong and he can fly. And he's bulletproof. Yep. And he's got x-ray power. And he's got wind that he can blow kind of thing. Where, like, Captain America is like, uh, he took the super soldier serum. So he's he's got a great tactical mind and he's uh, very hard to beat. Yes. Um, and that's all it really is. There's not a lot of bells and whistles when it comes to Steve Rogers. It's all just like, he was that person when he went in. Right. And so that did just accentuate his moral code. Right. 
And that's where you have that like civil war problem too, where they start fighting because like we know not on the flip side of that is that we know how much I love Tony Stark. Sure. And they're like, like your sister is like, fuck Tony Stark. Yeah. She's like, you're awful. And I'm well, just like. Well, remembers the original Civil War comics. <laughs> exactly. Like how, how in the wrong he was in those. Um, this is probably the last thing I want to say about Superman is, uh, at least in this conversation, mm-hmm. is that once again, I've read really good Superman stories and those stories usually harp on the fact that Superman is the ultimate good guy. Right. And has have him interacting with somebody that is so far below what his station would be, but treating them as an equal and being an inspiration that like usually that's like that's my Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not some like dark turn version of Superman. No, Superman is the guy that Yes, he, you know, stops a bridge from falling down and or, you know, keeps a building up or stops a fire or something like that, but also um, stops a girl from jumping off of a building because she wants to kill herself. Right. And not by just catching her, by, you know, with some kind words. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like, yeah, that's that's a Superman I like to see. Yeah. So like with the, the movies to segue back to where we were, it was like looking at those versions and seeing where I thought the character should have been versus where it was, I do have a detachment from it. Yeah. Uh, because um, Christian Bale is my Batman, I also have weird, not weird, but like just I'm not as attached to like a Clooney Batman or a Michael Keaton Batman or a Val Kilmer Batman. Like yeah, those don't like, really do anything. You see Keaton in the new Flash uh, thing and you're like, that's fine, but it's, it's not my guy. It's fine. He's not my guy. It seems like a Hail Mary because of everything going on with Ezra Miller. Yeah, a little It's bit. just not, it, it's not in the context that I would have liked him to return to, like to reprise think, that role. I would like to think that that was always the plan before Ezra Miller went off the rail. I would hope so, but it but, really doesn't feel like it. It's like, how do we make sure that people see this movie? Let's put Keaton in there. Yeah. So it, it does make me... And then there you have the Ben Affleck version, too, so they're kind of both involved. But when it comes to like the world building, I think that's why I do feel better about the Rob Pattinson Batman, because it's similar in terms of how Dark Knight works. Sure. Obviously, he's more like as as vengeance, like he's totally cool with killing, I, I feel like. And there's certain things about that version of Batman. But at the same time, it's very dark. There's a very like underworld build. Yeah. You barely see any daylight in that movie. It's got the yeah, same. Gotham Night is perpetually nightfall. It's got the same feeling and the same atmosphere, just different tonal shifts. Which is why, like, I, I decided to bring this to the, the podcast and talk about this because of the fact that I have been working with a cosplayer right. that does Batman cosplays. And we're not talking like, you know, foam muscle cosplays. He's not wearing hockey pants. Exactly. <laughs> um, he goes by Dark Detective on Instagram. It's uh, um, at dark underscore detective underscore. And if you look at his stuff, like he's got tons of props and all these other things that he's able to use, but he gets cinema grade um costumes yeah so the first one i did with him was the rob pattinson batman and i i actually went through and did a deep dive i rewatched the movie i looked at all the colors that they talked about within it how they processed the film because a lot of it was shot on film and then reprocessed into digital Mm -hmm. after the fact and i wanted to incorporate that in his color style and how i was portraying the pictures 
And plus, Malik wouldn't accept any less. He's a perfectionist. Sure. And so to the point of where he says, I drive you nuts, but I'm an artiste. And I'm like, yes, you drive me insane. <laughs> um, but I, I I get why he does it. And part of it is the way that the cosplay community can be in general of like, if you don't look good enough, you're not good. But on the flip side, he wants it to be as close to movie quality as possible. So going through all the colors that they were using and applying that to bringing him into the fold of almost like my my Detroit Gotham set, which right. we've talked about on the previous podcast, which is also very funny because that's the first time I ever talked to you. I yep. spoke about the Detroit Gotham podcast uh, on your podcast. And my whole series was based on villains. So this is the first time I've ever tried to tackle a hero. Granted, he's an anti-hero, so I can still kind of play with the dark tones of that. Right. But looking at all that from that side and thinking about like, well, what what can we talk about? You know, we have Christopher Nolan, who's now got Oppenheimer mm-hmm. and he's bringing into the fold uh, another character that he's using in, or not character, but another actor. I believe I pronounce it as Cillian Murphy. I don't know if that's correct. But he had played the Scarecrow. He was in Inception and he had like a pivotal role. And they've always tried to put him as a lead role in the movies. And like he can't seem to get the lead role. So this is the first time he's getting a lead role in a Nolan film. But I look at all that and because of the way that Christopher Nolan builds his colorscape and his storytelling and the way he shoots certain things... I feel like it's very interesting to try to recreate or try to grasp those themes and put it into this cosplayer's work because it is such cinema grade. So I do have, he does have the Dark Knight suit. We did shoot the Dark Knight suit and I I haven't posted my recap yet, but I'm going to try to get that done this week so you guys can see it. But the way that I approach it is always like, okay, what backgrounds are going to be the best with the tones? What is going to you know apply to make it look as close to the movie as possible? So when we even did the Rob Pattinson version, I was using things that looked like City Hall, things that yeah. could have those more yellow-orange tones versus doing the Nolan side. It's very cinema blue. It's got more it's it's mostly got blues, but it's like different shades of blue that are in there almost to the point of some of them are sort of green. But to kind of bring that to life, I feel like if you don't create that color that way, you're not going to get the same look and feel and it's going to fall flat when it comes to if you have someone standing there in a dark night suit. Sure. How does that work with normal light? And I'm sure color grading is, is a big part of, of making sure that that suit looks proper. It's interesting to me. There, there's a couple of things that you said that, that I was like, make a note of that and ask her about that. <laughs> Um, but it's interesting to me that um, Christopher Nolan is one of those directors that's synonymous with color grading. Yeah. Because, like, you don't think of, like, Quentin Tarantino and, like, color grading. You know, so, you don't you don't really think of, um, uh, what's that, James Gunn. I don't think of, like, no, how is James Gunn going to color grade this movie? I'm like, no, what's his soundtrack going to be like? I think of Quentin Tarantino. Like, what's his soundtrack going to be like? What's his dialogue going to be like? Well, the thing is, is that, though, I kind of do sometimes think of Tarantino and having the color grade because when you start with something like I, I I'm all over the place when it comes to Tarantino movies I haven't seen all of them but when I look at something like Pulp Fiction there is a very distinct vibe that those colors give off oh for sure and there's certain moments where it's like it's very bright it's very it's pulpy yeah and so for that it almost has like 
It's not quite in the level of comic book theme, right. but it's somewhere general in that area where it's like vibrance, the the saturations up, but not too much to where they don't look human, you know? Right, right. And so when I... Just enough to make you feel like this isn't quite reality. Right, exactly. And you see that, I, I feel like for him, it's more what does the scene call for? versus what do, or what does the movie call call for versus that because when you look at something like was the vampire movie he did oh from dust till dawn that has a very like rusty dusty yeah color grade in in that or you look at um dad what is even clips of django unchained are very like yellow saturated i feel like there's a very much a dust rust thing going on there as well but when you think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there is a very like 1950s feel to that. And that right. aids to the time periods that he's doing those in. With something like Christopher Nolan's Batman stuff, I feel like it's not reliant on time period to create or set the mood. No, it's, it's more about like, the like, world building. Like when I think the, the, the only other uh, directors that I would think of when I think of color grading is, well, I think of Zack Snyder, but usually it's in a negative light. <laughs> um, Everything with Zack Snyder is a negative light. <laughs> right. But I think of the Wachowskis in The Matrix, mm-hmm. like that, the color grading of The Matrix is very important. Oh, Absolutely. Like you have to have kind of like the greens, but that, that adds to the tech side of it. There's greens and then there's blues. Like I feel like Sometimes when Neo's in the real world, he's more blue. I don't really remember. I feel, I feel like when he's in his office, there's well, they like, use a lot of browns when he's in the room. That's what it is. Okay, browns yeah. and grays, but then like you know, it's land. Right, but then once you get into the matrix, there's a lot of greens in there, and there's a lot of you know like brighter colors. Yeah, and so I I know that's kind of nerdy. It might be a little a little too nerdy for the audience here. <laughs> But at the same time, I, I think that it really does lend itself to how the Christopher Nolan films are put together. And with Oppenheimer coming out, that's going to have that looks a lot more on that color scale of like rust, dust, yellowish. And that's also a time period thing. Yes. Another one that we did not mention when it comes to color grading, Wes Anderson Holy oh, yeah. shit, Wes Anderson. Everything, like, to the point of, like, it became a, a social media joke that everybody was creating reels and TikToks in the, the same vein as a, what a Wes Anderson story would look like. Right. And their color grading is really important to him, too. And so when you look at a Wes Anderson film, you definitely know it's a Wes Anderson film based on how it's portrayed, not even just by, like, the storyline, but by the color composition. So was The Dark Knight the first Christopher Nolan movie you'd seen? Yeah. And did that kind of put you on a path of, like, I want to see everything this guy makes? Pretty much. I haven't gone backwards. I've only gone forwards. So, unfortunately, I keep falling asleep during Tenant. So, <laughs> I don't know what that's about. But every time we try to watch it, we fall asleep. Yeah. So, um, there's that. It's a new Blade Runner. But uh, with Inception... Inception, I am obsessed with that movie, and I feel like that has elements in it as well. And there's like actually even a cinematography shot that like he does from behind people, where it it's like almost like a zoom out. And when you see it happening, it's like that first sequence of the Joker where he's got the mask standing next to him, and he's waiting for the car to pick him up. There is that within Inception. Those are in, in pretty much every movie that Christopher Nolan does. There is this one back shot or several 
that he gets that is from that style frame. And it's funny to me, I just noticed this. I rewatch things all the time, TV shows and stuff. Daredevil is one of those things I rewatch over and over and over again. Right. He does that back shot on Wilson Fisk, whoever directed that. Yeah. And the way it's done, I'm like, is that an homage? Right. Are you homaging? Yeah, maybe it's an homage. <laughs> maybe it's just the it's the um the language of the medium. Like it could be a yeah. filmmaker that 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 says a specific thing to an audience, and that's what they wanted to convey. So. Yeah, it was a shot of Wilson Fisk. He's sitting in jail, and he's at a table, and it was right after he slams Matt Murdock's head down on the table because he's like, I can I can send Vanessa to prison with just a stamp. Yeah. You know, and so they show it, and it's a slow, like, dolly move back, and it widens the room, and because Wilson Fisk is so massive, not as massive as he is in... In Spider-Man, no, not Spider-Verse. A Spider-Verse, no, but not. but it it gives this this feeling of like he's in a box, and they do call it the big box when they talk about him being in prison. But as it's expanding, even though Wilson is supposed to look smaller, somehow he seems more gargantuan and more ominous. And it's only him sitting face forward in the back of a chair; you can't even see his face. Yeah, and somehow it's still such a poignant moment and they have those a lot with Christopher Nolan and that's kind of how his story style goes and it may it might be a thing of a medium but that's the first time I've ever noticed it and went ooh, ooh. <laughs> I didn't realize until I think it was just this year actually there's a specific shot that a lot of movie uh, movie makers do where like you pull the camera back but zoom it in on the subject mm-hmm. and like I don't know that I necessarily like that shot, but I always recognize it. And I was always like, that's magic. I don't know how the fuck you make that. I don't happen. think you're supposed to like it. Yeah, I think it's supposed to set up like... It's supposed to jar you. Yeah, it's supposed to definitely jar you. It's well, funny. It wasn't until this year that I, I'd like seen a making of something and they talked about making a shot like that where like, and they showed them like pulling the camera back while it's focusing and I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. That is that wouldn't be how that works. We would have to ask. Um, we should have Nick Harris on here one time because this is my friend that does video. He did that to me once. Yeah, there's there's a shot of me inside an abandoned building where he has a pullback and it zooms in and yeah. it's the weirdest but coolest shot right. ever. And it, I think it's supposed to create a sense of like confusion, urgency. Yeah. Like to throw you off. It's supposed to be kind of like that the floor coming out from under you feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that exactly. Just discovered a plot point that is like, <laughs> uh-uh. yeah, exactly, exactly. So it, there's a lot of elements into it that I feel like I've retained. Like now that I'm talking about it, I feel like I retained way more than I thought I did when it came to it. But yeah. there's so much about his directorial style and how he does things in the certain shots that he does. And you can kind of even see them in comparison between like Dark Knight and Inception. There's a lot of things that are similar. And I feel like they kind of pulled back a little bit on it when they ended up doing Dark Knight Rises. The movie is really solid. I love that movie as well. It's never going to top Dark Knight for me, but like it's a close second that it's very good. That's what I'd said after I'd seen it in the theater, the third one, mm-hmm. is that like... The second one is the only one that can stand on its own. Yes, exactly. If you lived in a universe where only one of those movies came out, the second one is the only one that makes sense. Yep. Like the other two absolutely need the other movies to work. Yeah, and that's interesting, too, in a time frame where we're always kind of connecting everything. Because 
when you when I have my fight about like I don't like Marvel if it's not connecting to everything and my frustration with when things don't I'm kind of like what why does this matter no one's talking about the giant in the ocean from Eternals don't don't you think we should be concerned no you know so there's certain things like that where like I I go back and forth on how I feel about it but it depends on what I'm watching what the story is what all of that goes into it so to kind of tailor it back up i'm trying to find a way to like bring it all in together but with everything that i saw in the dark knight this story is amazing the actors are amazing there's not a critique i don't have any frustration with anything that i saw and usually like and maybe it's because i watched it before i became so critical about everything that has that always has and that that probably does have something to do with it but for me it's like that's my comfort movie that's my i don't feel good i need to watch it movie it's a i need inspiration i need to watch that movie and re-watching it so many times it I feel like it's one of those things where I can quote and know like the back of my hand, but I never get tired watching it. I don't get sick of it. And that's it's probably if I want to be honest, it's probably top three. I don't know if it's the first one. I have a hard time drilling down top songs and top movies. Sure. But for me, that's definitely up there as one of the best movies of all time. So I don't think and to be honest, like I. I'm interested in the fact that Oppenheimer is coming out. I am not in the urgency to go. I need to go and watch that in the theater just for the simple fact that like the story doesn't do anything for me. It's about an atomic bomb. That's the thing I always find fascinating. Like uh, Mike Pandoff, who we had on talking about Star Wars mm-hmm. uh, on on this podcast early. He's he's also a big Christopher Nolan fan uh, and. I have enjoyed Christopher Nolan movies, but I have also watched Christopher Nolan movies that bore the shit out of me. <laughs> and I, I like, so I'm I, I'm definitely not as big a fan of that director as the two of you are. Mm-hmm. But it's always fascinating to hear you guys talk about, you know, how much you enjoy the movies because it just it just doesn't connect right. for me. I've seen good ones, but I've also seen ones that I'm like, eh. I'd be interested to know what Mike's favorite parts about Christopher Nolan are because I, I swear to God they're probably way different than mine. Maybe. Because mine is coming from like art mind. Yeah. I feel like his is going to come from like a cinema mind. He may have some overlap with like the way that things are edited and stuff like that sure. but I'd be interested to know what his thought process is on that. I can't believe it. you never saw a single superhero movie until Iron Man and Dark Knight. Yeah well also keep in mind I'm way younger than you. Oh, I know. I know. But like, they, you know, look, the 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 in the superhero movie industrial machine is, is well, that's still fairly recent. Like in the last to me, that's years. where it kicked off, though. That's it what kicked I mean. off it with Iron Man to kind me. of started with that year. Now that we yeah. see that both of those movies came out in that year. Yeah. Um, but that they were still making them. They just weren't as good. Well, and that's what I think it is, too, is that like it wasn't as critically acclaimed or it wasn't like I wasn't into comic books necessarily at that point in time. Right. I watched animate the animated Batman series with like with the very amazing banger of an intro. Oh, my God. That thing is a banger. Um, And like I had seen. It's not to say that I hadn't seen superhero movies. I probably came across one of the Batmans on TV. I think I remember seeing the one that Alicia Silverstone was in on the cable and was like, this is awful. 
start. No, it's George not. Anyone. Exactly. And it's not a good start. bat nipples. And, yeah. and, you know, it was very camp. And I can understand that now as an adult, but as a child, I was just like, this is terrible, you know? <laughs> and I think after I watched, you know, Dark Knight and got really into this version, I did go back and kind of check out the other ones when they were presented to me. Right. And, like, I mean, Jack Nicholson is a very entertaining uh, Joker. Oh, yeah. You have Tommy Lee Jones's Two Face, very entertaining. But when it comes down to like the sinister nature of Two Face and uh, you know the yeah, Joker, it was not there. It's not there. No. So I don't know. It's yeah. interesting to me, but that's where my where I land with it. The idea at that point was to make you uh, love to hate them kind mm-hmm. of thing. So like make them make them make you laugh despite yourself. Yeah, basically. And, it, you know, you have to just look at it and, and enjoy it for what it is and given the time. And, you know, I, it's not like I was being presented with watching Blade until I got way older. Right. And so. <laughs> OK, so this is the other thing I want to ask you, because like you said, you've worked with a cosplayer that's worked in two Batman suits. So you see how hard those things are to move. Oh, my around. God. He can barely move and he's so sweaty all the time. So <laughs> when you're watching Batman uh, whether it's in any capacity, whether it's a comic book or a cartoon or a video game or something like that, does it take you out of it to see him moving around with such agility in a movie or something when mm. you know that like that suit, like like the old Michael Keaton suit, he couldn't turn his head? Yeah. And then I'm looking at the trailer for Flash and I'm like, that is all cartoon. <laughs> that is absolutely not that character, that Michael Keaton Batman oh, yeah. doing all those things. Yeah, no, for me, it's more of, I have respect for Christian Bale for training as hard as he did. It's not to say that my cosplayer doesn't. He's like, he's in a form of the armed services. So like, sure. he's got the physicality. It's, it's not that, but. no amount of training that can make a suit that looks good, also flexible. Exactly. Of range of motion. And so even with, so when they did the the begin suit, which he did have at one point, I never shot that one, but with the begin suit, it was that he couldn't turn his head. He said he had a very big difficulty doing it. And so for, when when they talked about it in the special features of The Dark Knight, they mentioned how actually that's why they wrote in the lines where they have Morgan Freeman as um, Lucius talking to him about turning his head. Mm. They intentionally put that line in the movie to make you understand why they changed the suit. Like it's drilled down so far in, in the intention of the way that it works. And so for that, it was like they made it when they made the Dark Knight suit, they made it faster more agile the way that lucius does talk about it in order to help christian bale move better but it means those panels are open yes so with a lot of the suits it's kind of like a specific type of rubber Mm -hmm. and so the way that you're moving you don't have necessary flexibility so even with malik's suit it's like the panels are open to where there is some flexibility still has a hard time walking to a degree when he's doing it to the point of like when I filmed BTS, he wanted to look at it to see if he looked really stupid walking. Sure. And I'm like, no, you you look fine from the outside. I think it looks more stupid in your head than it does the way I did it. Yeah, because you can't you you feel like you're walking in a weird exactly because you've got all this armor. It's the same. I'm looking at Han Solo and Stormtrooper here <laughs> yes. on your wall here. It's the same thing with people that cosplay Stormtroopers. It's like, oh yeah, you have to have you. The, you must the, walk like a cowboy or right. something like you know you're. 
kind of having to spread your legs a little bit and do it. And so it sounds it seems a little bit more silly. But when you look at it and the functionality of it, there's definitely more movement. He had more movement than he did with the Rob Pattinson suit as well. So the Dark Knight suit, I think, is probably the superior suit out of everything because of the fact that they did incorporate flexibility in the movie and the way that people are creating these suits with the way that they, these guys are all really heavy fans and, and there's like a whole oh, legion sure. of Dark Knight people or Batman people in general in the cosplay community that take it very seriously. And they're always blown away by how his suits look because they're so cinema accurate yeah. compared to what some other people have done. And so people are really blown away between that and then like the color compositions that I do. And as a like toot my own horn, but I do get some very interesting shots because we have such a great landscape in Detroit to use. It feels very Gotham. Right. I couldn't get any more Gotham than if I went to New York. So, you know, it, it, there's there's ways of making that work. And like the, that's why you have to, you know, people sometimes shit on cosplayers or whatever for paying out all this money to create this stuff or whatever. When you do it right and you have the right team that you're doing it with, sure. the people that are making his cowl to the people that make the suit to the way that I shoot it, like all of that goes into play when you're doing something like that. So it's it's not just like, oh, we're dressing up and having fun here. Like, right. it, it's definitely an art form. I could never afford to be a cosplayer, but it's very, yeah, I, I respect everyone that does it. In the amount of cosplaying I've done, the amount of money I've had to spend to make, to look even like half good. Yes. I'm just like, this is too expensive a hobby for me. Exactly. So I, I definitely think though that the the suit does play into how well it looks yeah. overall. Well. Do you have any questions? I don't think so. I think it's time for us to make the segment disappear. <laughs> Yep. So if you want to check out, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes because I don't know if you guys know, but like I'm putting blogs out on these every time we post the video. So I'll put his Instagram in the show notes and I'll also put together my, you know, my recap if you follow me and if you want to check out what it looks like. But um, definitely if you've never seen The Dark Knight, which if you live under a rock, holy shit. But if you've never seen The Dark Knight, I highly recommend it. You do not have to watch Batman Begins to do it. That will only ruin your time. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I, I mean there's not really anything that honestly cursory be, knowledge of Batman maybe no begins actually lends itself more to Dark Knight Rises because of the Rachel Ghoul thing yeah. so there's there's connects there but Dark Knight does stand on its own so if you've never seen it watch it if somebody has a DVD that you can watch with special features and you're a nerd like me watch it because it's very very interesting to see how they pulled that off and with little to no special effects Hey, a woman. <laughs> that is Chuck's. That's my phone. That's my ringtone. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back with more of the Really Big Fan Podcast. We're coming back and I'll tell you how I got these scars. <laughs> and we're back with the Really Big Fan Podcast. Thank you to our guest and co host, Acronym, <laughs> for filling us on your love for uh, Batman The Dark Knight. I it it's funny to me how much you talk about watching the special features for that thing uh, because whenever you catch me watching special features on a DVD you're like who does that no you know <laughs> what happened was I actually I had never watched the special features until I was doing that shoot yeah and then I was like 
I should watch the special features in case there's something in here I can use. Right. You know, and so it was me me just trying to be as accurate as I could, honestly, by watching them. And then I'm watching it and going like, oh, my God, this is fascinating. And then I was like texting Mike Chait going, have you ever watched The Dark Knight uh, <laughs> special features? Like, this is the director I work for. I'm like, you should really watch it if you haven't because holy shit. Right. Because he's very much in the same mind of, of as much practical things that we can do. We yeah. should do practical effects. And it's the same with um, my best friend, Jamie, uh, Jamie Gasper. She's a makeup artist. She is very much the person that's like, let's do practical work on on people for special effects makeup rather than make it graphics. Um, it's, it's definitely an art. And if you do it poorly, it's not great. But if you do it very well, it pays off so much. Yeah. Well, it's time to uh, wrap the show up, and that means it's time to get to our serotonin boost mm-hmm. for the week. Uh, you want to go first? Sure. I have been <laughs> I have been getting a lot of concert requests lately and I've been really jazzed about that. I think it's because I, I messed around with my Instagrams and made them all separate. So now all my stuff is very niche down. Nice. Um, but on my acronym is dot JPEG Instagram account, you can see all the concerts I've been hitting up lately. But one that I didn't get approved of that I, I very fiscally irresponsibly went to was Paramore and I still feel like that was the best decision even though I am so paying for it now <laughs> because it was it, Haley is church Haley is a god we were talking about it um and me and me and Sam because we ended up um photographing K-Flay and grandson this week at St. Andrews the same night that Taylor Swift was in town so we had to walk like 20 minutes from our parking space to get to the venue but worth it at least the weather was all right yeah at least the weather was all right it wasn't like yesterday where it was pouring outside right but um with that it was kind of one of those things where i was talking to her and i was like i don't know if i want to be with Haley or if i want to be Haley. this is how i know i'm queer um <laughs> but she is just i mean even jumping around she's like high stepping it with the knees she's like and she's not losing her breath at all like she stuff. sounds amazing and it's the same thing where like i went on that jazz about lizzo and how i respect her so much because she's very much the same for sure and and the stamina that you have to have to do that now Haley's a tiny small human being she's very like short and little and so she can do that but at the same time like man kudos to her for being as talented as she is because she put on a hell of a show and um, she brought up a fan. I was going to say, is, who who came, who came up on stage so, first thing, Misery Business? Funny enough, it was another photographer that, like, other people that I know know. Oh, wow. He was in the crowd, and his name is Ray. And he was, um, I, I believe he, if not they, I apologize if it's they, but they were in the crowd, and Haley was making eye contact with them and going like, Okay, I've been, and I have video of this. I, uh, I went live when she was about to select it on yeah. the zine page. And I was like, oh, great. Like, let's see who it's going to be. And she's like, I've been locking eyes with the same person all night, knows all the words, everything, and just like great energy. Like, I want you. I want you. And it's fun. And so they were like way farther back into the crowd and, pull, and got pulled in the stage knew every step she was going to do and has clearly watched all of the clips of other fans being pulled on stage. Right. High stepping it with her at the right moments. And it was so much so that when they walked off stage, she goes, we don't rehearse this. <laughs> we we do not know who we're picking until the very moment. This is not rehearsed. And 
race sounded amazing on top of it excellent um singing misery business so she was jazzed she was losing it like she was so hype about it then she also was very she was in her feelings a little bit that day but she was kind of talking about how uh you know she remembers hearing paramore on the radio for the first time here oh cool and so we we deduced like dave kim was really the one that deduced that had to be 89x there was no other station that would have been playing paramore it had to be 89x and um she also brought up the fact that the shelter was always very good to them and like i've been hitting the shelter all week for shows so it's like it was like shelter and fillmore shelter fillmore but um for for that in tune like you can tell she really cares about coming to detroit and how important it is to her and she was all glammed up and everything else but she was very blown away by lca and how huge it was sure she kept just looking up and she's like this is amazing and like i have clips of her doing it where she's just like talking in the mic like this is amazing guy this is huge i'm so thankful we get to play a place like like she was kind of like wild out a little bit with it but she what really hit her was they decided to play um only exception which is a song about her ex-husband and she was like we can play this together and think about all of our bad choices and like kind of laughed about it or whatever but she had seen earlier in the set that people were putting up their phones Mm -hmm. and turning on the lights and she goes can we do that light thing again can we put it all up and just go full 100 with it because she was so blown away at like what it looked like when everybody turned on their phones she was just like you could tell she felt like a little kid again and i was just like oh i love you Haley. oh you're so cute it's it's so funny you talked about this to me off mic Mm -hmm. as well how was the rest of the band Oh, they're great. You uh, you talk only about Haley as if nobody okay. else was on stage. So this is also funny because I took issue with how it was shot. I was looking at everybody else's concert pictures and nobody really shot the other band members. Everybody was like up in Haley's shit. And Haley I was like, is a band. exactly. And then no so doubt was a band. Exactly. So it, people do very much go like Haley and the boys. It's not like, you know, everybody's always like, you know, if you're a very hardcore Paramore fan, though, you do have very good affiliation with the others. Um, they used to be a four piece. Now they're tech touring band. Yeah. So I think that the people that were shooting the show don't know Paramore enough to know that that is not a touring band behind her. Right. Like- so the drummer and her guitarist are part of the band as well. as And, and um, Taylor... I I'm, I'm hope I'm getting this right, but she's dating the guitarist now. Okay. So, and then the drummer actually has his own band, and they switched instruments at one point, and he got to come up and sing one of his songs from his band, and Haley played guitar on it. Nice. So it was pretty cool to see that happen, too, because I had no idea there was a band uh, behind that. Um, that he was working on. So it was very cool to see them all live and they were really just amazing and I get goosebumps talking about it. It was definitely it was definitely worth me overdrafting my account to go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm super happy for you. Um, I've been trying to think this whole time what to talk about for my serotonin boost because I don't have a thing that I'm like hyper focused on this. You mean uh, Fortnite or your spider you talked about spider-man last week so <laughs> so like i guess fortnite is probably the best place to go because they just started a new season um and uh, the new season the new battle pass has optimus prime at the end of it as a skin you can get so i decided okay i'll spend money on uh, a battle pass and play a bunch of fortnite this month and, and maybe next month in hopes to to get my optimus prime skin i had convinced myself 
not knowing how Fortnite works, that um, when the new Battle Pass dropped, I was going to spend like 30 bucks on Fortnite because mm-hmm. I wanted to get the Spider-Man outfit. Right. And then I found that there was an emote that allowed you to play Master of Puppets from Metallica. <laughs> and if other players came over and hit their emote button, they would pick up one of the other instruments. So you could have four players all being Metallica playing Master of Puppets. I'm like, this is awesome. I got to buy that. The day the Battle Pass comes out is the day they pull Spider-Man and the Master of Puppets emote from the shop. So... It's kind of like when I play Pokemon Unite and then like they have a specific skin for one of the characters and then when the yep. season pass renews, you lose that. You lose your, uh, your uh, capability to get to that. The plus side with Pokemon Unite, though, is like you if you do get it, you can always use it. You have it forever. Yeah. yeah. With Fortnite, you don't, right? No, you do. Oh, it, okay. Like I, when they when the first Spider Verse movie came out, Gwen was one of the costumes you could get. Mm-hmm. There were people running around as Gwen. Oh, okay. So there's still people. I thought it turned Gwen. off and they were just put no, new ones out. So, so I misunderstood that. You buy a skin for something like you just have it forever, uh-huh. which is kind of cool. So that's probably that's part of why I want to get Optimus Prime. Yeah, and I have Optimus Prime forever in Fortnite. Right. Uh, also discovering uh, that the matchmaking is different on the Switch than it is on like the PlayStation or the computer. So like. Yeah, play on the computer. Uh, I'm usually 98th place <laughs> out of 100 people, whereas I've gotten a couple of crown royals on the Switch. Yeah, like I guess the matchmaking is uh, not as good. People say. Well, you had that problem with on um, Dead by Daylight too, where um, being on the PlayStation is very different than playing on the computer. Yeah, it was better than being on the computer. So I will probably continue to just play it on the Switch. Also discovering that it gives me motion sickness. That's a little upsetting. Yeah, that's a bummer. I heard you asking King Mob what the frame rate is with yeah. that. Yeah, and I, I'll, you know, try to... It's it's kind of the way I got through the Spider-Man games on the PlayStation is I'll try and keep my, my play to, like, maybe an hour a day at most. Yeah. But uh, but I, I am excited to, to you know, see Optimus Prime in Fortnite. I'm excited uh, next month when they put Nicolas Cage in Dead by Daylight to try that again. Yeah. And get frustrated because I'm bad at it. <laughs> You'll have to pray with Christy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She'll have to carry me. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I guess Fortnite. For now, I'm I'm kind of enjoying Fortnite until I don't anymore. <laughs> well, lovely. Um, thank you everybody who has listened in, whether you're listening live or not, and we appreciate you. Go ahead and check out all of our social media information at acronymis.com/slash really big fan pod. Um, we've got. I'm going to be trying to cut up some um, clips in the next week or so of the first 10 episodes to kind of drop some stuff on the social because I've been a bit behind with all of that. You know, when you do a lot of things, you run out of time easily. It's true. Um, So I will try to get some of those out this coming week. And if there's anything that you feel like is a topic that you'd like to hear about, I'd like to throw it to the audience and see if there's something that they're interested in. And maybe we can see if we can find people that love those things and talk to them about it. Because I feel like um, it would be good to have a little bit of audience input on that. I agree. So let us know. And by all means, if you, if you can, please support us on Patreon. We don't have our tiers set up yet. So you can actually just throw a dollar, throw two dollars, throw five dollars, whatever you want to throw at us uh, in order to help us support doing this and keeping the Internet on. Yep. And uh, of course, follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv backslash uh, really big fan pod. That's where not only you can see these uh, episodes recorded live 
on Wednesday mornings, but you can watch me or Acronym or uh, play some video games. Yeah. I've been playing a lot of Super Metroid lately. That's where you can check me out playing Fortnite, whether I'm doing bad or doing good. <laughs> if I'm doing bad, then that video is not going up for... Uh, <laughs> video on demand i had a i think last thursday i had like a got an hour of fortnite on the computer i was like this sucks i am not putting this on our channel <laughs> <laughs> yeah see that's why i don't stream so much is because sometimes i just suck and i don't want everybody to know i suck yeah well you did it's only if you if you don't publish it then only the people who watch live have any it's true any uh indication <laughs> that you weren't bad you were bad at a thing that night we'll check you guys out next week for the really big fan pod If you could pick the next person that Noel Gallagher starts fighting with, who would it be? Oh, my God. <laughs> this is a hard choice because, like, you kind of want it to be somebody who's going to fire back. Yeah. But then also, once they fire back, it's just going to get worse and worse. Oh, yeah, totally. And you run the risk of inevitably just hating both of them by the by the end of the, by the, end of the war. Um, Ted Nugent. Oh, God. I already don't like Ted Nugent. So, yeah, Noel Gallagher can take pieces out of him all day. Oh, my God. That he would be... Rock. Oh, that would be ridiculous. Bobby up. No. <laughs> Just get him. That fucker lived in a place with a gazebo. He's such a cunt. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that happening. That was, like, the worst Noel Gallagher impression. I don't even think I've heard him actually speak, so I have no idea what his voice sounds like. I read everything. He just wanted to say cunt. I really did. <laughs> I mean, that that's... When you're British, that comes out a lot. I know? love how much the British people use it. In fact, if you ever hear me use it, it's because... Of all the Garth Ennis comics I read, <laughs> and all the boys we watched, and like whenever I hear British people say, "I a fucking cunt." This oh my god! So funny. I wish, I wish I could have Noel Gallagher fight people that aren't real, because I would totally have him fight <laughs> Billy Butcher. Can you imagine? That would be so. <laughs> first of all. Eventually, Billy would just take his head off. But, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but like them talking back and forth would be really, really funny. So, can you, you have to imagine, though, Billy Butcher being his like sassy self, for like, sure. saying stuff and, like just, you know, how his like face wrinkles up and he kind of like does that thing where he nods his head? Yeah, like, grin on his uh, face. Yeah, that's just how I would imagine it Billy happening. Evil grin. Um, so I've been listening to, uh, there was a Monty Python CD set called The the Last Ripoff. It was like a compilation that had a whole bunch of like stuff from all of their, yeah. their career. Um, and I, I pulled it up on YouTube because I didn't know I, I don't have a CD player uh, available. I have the CD downstairs. I don't have the CD player to play it on though. Um, there was a, there was a sketch where there was a dude that couldn't say the letter C. Mm-hmm. So he replaced it with the letter B. So like he says buller instead of color. And the guy and the guy he's talking to is like, well, why don't you just replace it with a K? And he's like, Oh, you mean like color? And he follows that up by saying, What a silly bunt. Oh God. And I was like, I have I have never caught that joke <laughs> until last week when I was listening. And I was like, Oh my goodness.
I, I what, love what a slick way to just pass that by. I love how I was talking about Noel Gallagher and all this is really turned into is how much we love the C word. <laughs> I apologize if we're offending anyone right now. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>